trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I trust you've come to revel in wrong think. Now, my friends, you've come to the right place. Hey, let's dive right in. I, I want to share with you a letter to the editor written by a friend of mine, Ryan Schutte. He lives in St. George, Utah. And I want to share this with you because Ryan has zeroed in on something that I think a lot of us tend to look past. We just, I don't know, we, we justify, well, you know, uh, you know, we the taxes are the price we pay for living in civilization. But if you ever wanted to hear uh, a, just a beautiful explanation of how even your local municipal government can become an instrument of legal plunder. Ryan spells it out, and he, I think he does this very diplomatically, but uh, he rightly calls out the St. George mayor. In uh, she, she had appeared on, I guess, a, a podcast where she endorsed um, an incumbent city council member as the ideal city council candidate. I mean, hey, it's the incumbency, standing up for the incumbents. And, you know, not to, not too surprising, right? We're part of the club. We'll circle the wagons. We'll, we'll work together. Ryan says the primary goal of government is to safeguard individual liberties, recognizing that the smallest minority is the individual. He says in our local politics race, we often see a prevalence of collectivist promises, ranging from new park bonds to affordable housing initiatives. But he says the question we must ask is who foots the bill for these programs and commitments? Right now, I can see, I mean, right there, I can see, you know, people in elected positions starting to squirm a little. Uh, I don't like where this is headed. Now, Ryan says, even if some recreation funding comes from sources like the transient room tax where revenue is generated by taxing tourists visiting southern Utah, it still raises moral and other legal plunder concerns. As these funds are funneled to localities at state and county authorities' discretion, oftentimes competing with private business, like hosting Little Valley pickleball tournaments and massively expanding venues. So he says, reflecting on last August's St. George City Council meeting where a proposed safety initiative tax increase was passionately debated, an elderly gentleman slowly rose to address the city council. He explained how he was living on a fixed income and the proposed tax hike would place a burden on him. And it was only because concerned residents turned out in force that the city council decided to postpone the tax increase, ultimately securing alternative funding. Now, Ryan says, looking at the current political landscape surrounding city council elections, it's doubtful this gentleman is is enticed by the political fruits being offered, like crowded sports courts, flooded bike trails, or subsidized Zion shuttles. This is for Zion National Park. His primary concern, as suggested by his testimony, seems to be a desire to be left in peace. Like many struggling families, he's trying to maintain his financial stability and hang on a bit longer. This individual represents the core essence of our society, and the government was established to protect his right to persevere. Ryan says the question we must confront is whether this fundamental message is fading into obscurity or simply becoming unpopular among political bodies fixated on expanding their budgets through taxation. He's right. 
Now, Ryan says Christianity teaches us that taking from our neighbors is morally wrong. However, paradoxically, through the act of voting each election cycle, we effectively participate in taking from our neighbors. We advocate or vote for our favorite projects, programs, and facilities, all in the pursuit of improving our quality of life. And he says this reflects the dangerous superstition of democracy, the idea that through coercion and force, anything deemed moral by government is automatically considered good. He says, while individuals like you and me would face consequences for stealing, local and county governments through various programs are able to redistribute money collected in the form of taxation. Consequently, businesses endorsed by politicians who have won popularity contests are are rewarded under the pretext of city beautification or economic development. He says the recreation perks offered to citizens serve as distractions, diverting attention from the underlying wrongdoing. We often separate Caesar's actions within Christ's kingdom, sometimes even rewarding him as a necessary evil. But he says, in reality, many residents interact with Caesar, typically by obtaining government permission slips to build something or receiving benefits from his war chest, and sometimes it's a combination of both. Ryan says, shifting the course involves advocating for voluntary cooperation and persuasion rather than relying on compulsory taxation and collectivist measures. It means bolstering free market principles over government protectionism and endorsing candidates who prioritize limited government and encourage voluntary agreements among private individuals, even if it entails occasional inconveniences. Like an intoxicated individual mistakenly entering the wrong home during a vacation in southern Utah, as illustrated anecdotally by the mayor during podcast discussion about her endorsement of the city's Airbnb ban. By the way, that Airbnb ban, that is nothing more than protectionism for hotels in the city. Plain and simple. Furthermore, Ryan says it entails critically assessing the need for supporting new spending like park bonds based on empirical evidence rather than citing additional lighting and park equipment needs as anecdotal claims. To put it differently, he says the mayor finds it unacceptable permitting short-term rentals in this tourism mecca due to perceived dangers and concerns like parking. However, we are compelled, through voting, to invest in public parks despite their associated drawbacks, including increased crime, elevated expenses, and a range of unique challenges, such as tax hikes. He says it's essential to openly acknowledge the trade-offs involved. Moreover, let's not underestimate the private sector's expertise in constructing and managing facilities like parks, pickleball courts, swimming pools, golf courses, and more. The real issue here is government interference in the marketplace. Now, Ryan says, look, I'm well aware the short-term rentals pose various challenges. However, what if the key to resolving neighbor disputes lies in direct face-to-face communication and addressing problems in the spirit of love thy neighbor? Entrusting the management of the sharing economy to governmental authorities doesn't appear to be effective. The mayor has expressed her frustration that, that with the current prohibition-like response to the city-imposed Airbnb ban, leading to over 200 illegal short-term rental units that cannot effectively be prosecuted due to state laws. History shows that when government outlaws something, it often leads to the emergence of a black market. He says these central planning antics will only come to an end when residents reach a point of frustration and collectively establish clear boundaries, outlining what government at all levels can and cannot undertake on behalf of taxpayers. 
And he says elections in Utah's Dixie are not simply defined by progressive versus conservative ideologies or the pursuit of taxpayer-funded utopias. The political landscape here goes beyond party affiliation. Individuals have the choice to align with principles guided by Christ's kingdom or to engage with the political system, understanding that the latter often results in support for governing entities that exert authority over citizens, much like a master over a slave. To illustrate, consider the consequences of not paying property taxes on a fully owned home, and you'll quickly discern the extent of government intervention. So for the older gentleman living on a fixed income who simply desires to be left in peace, Ryan says, I wonder whether the looming election circus may reignite concerns over his ability to meet tax obligations. But in the event he does lose his house or other basic necessities, there's always the option to visit a free public park with newly refurbished equipment and lighting. Again, this is my friend Ryan Schutte. I'm sharing this with you. uh, I mean, this program does air on the weekends on Southern Utah Radio, and so uh, there's a good chance that folks will, will hear this in, in that area, but uh, the problem he's identifying is not just limited to St. George and the surrounding area. You see it in almost every municipality. Hey, we're just trying to bless the citizenry here. We're just trying to, you know, provide all these, uh, all these amenities that, that make life so great. But nobody is supposed to ask, and I think Ryan does a beautiful job of asking, is that really what government is supposed to be doing in the first place? Look, I I lived in St. George for nine years. I still consider it one of the most beautiful places that I have ever lived in my life. It was breathtaking. But I have to say, the quality of life began to suffer there in direct proportion to the degree that the city began to, uh, how can I put this, insert itself into everybody's business. Code enforcement, which started as, well, we're just trying to encourage people to keep up their property and not be an eyesore. No, it turned into fine-tooth combing, sending swarms of officers hither and to, to to look for ways to insert themselves into people's lives. You have a car sitting in your garage under a tarp, but it's not licensed. Well, you can't have that on your property. And literally, they would send code enforcement officers out to find these violations. They would send what's euphemistically called a courtesy notice which is a threat. It's a threatening letter. You will take care of this or we will escalate and it will become a class C misdemeanor and, you know, we'll pursue legal action. I think I agree with Ryan's premise. Most of us just want to be left in peace. But the busybodies, under the guise of blessing us, (laughs) they just can't seem to do it, now can they? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I am very happy to uh, welcome Eric Meter to the program. I first became aware of him uh, actually a couple of years ago. Connor Boyack had uh, hosted a webinar that uh, was very interesting in that it, it, it talked about privacy. And uh, first of all, uh, Glenn, I'm sorry, I think I called you your son's name. Yeah, yeah. Glenn, welcome to the program. Um, you, are, you are kind of, uh, you're a go-to guy when it comes to people securing their privacy and so forth. Before we dive into why we need to secure our privacy, talk a little bit about your background so people can understand where you are approaching this from. Yeah, okay. So my my love for privacy really came 
is is tied into my love for freedom. And that's really, I, I think uh, privacy is essential for freedom. And without privacy, I, I don't think we really have freedom. We have maybe an illusion of freedom, but we don't really have freedom. And so that's really my, that's my starting point. But, um, you know, when we talk about privacy, we talk about the three main threats, which are big brother, big tech, and, you know, hackers, thieves, and scammers, you know, the bad guys. Those three threats there, you, you can't just look at one of them. You've got to look at all three of these and your online privacy has to be geared to protect against all of those threats. Yeah, it seems like people who would say, well, I've got nothing to hide. You know, my life's an open book. Really? So go ahead and put your social security number and your pins out there. And I'm sure those hackers will thank you, you know, for, exactly. for for being so open about everything. Uh, talk to me about uh, a lot of a lot of the threats to our privacy aren't really overt. In other words, they're not out in the open. What are some of the ways that we give up privacy without even realizing it? Yeah, so one of the examples, I think one of the best examples is a company like Google Every single product that Google creates is a Trojan horse. And it is, you know, you talk about uh, the Chrome browser, the Google search engine, the Android operating system, uh, Google Docs, all of these things are a Trojan horse to get your data. And the amount of data that they collect is absolutely astounding. It's it's it, it's mind-boggling how much data they get about it. They, they know everywhere we go, every second of the day, who we talk to, all of this stuff. And one of the things that really, you know, is, is something that we have to think about now is they have designed AI. You know, most people think about AI as being like, you know, commander data from Star Trek. It's, it's something <laughs> that it's, it's like somebody trying to think like us. That's not what AI is. AI is 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 created by big tech because there's so much data that they needed a way to process it and make it usable. And so they have this, these AI programs that are extremely intelligent and they're self-learning. And that's the thing that really makes them, them scary, but it's designed for a very specific purpose. It is to get our data, compile our data to look for patterns and make predictions in ways that no one else could, even the programmers of the AI have no idea how the AI makes these predictions now. It is really complex. And what they're doing, what they're using this for is they're putting the pieces in place for technological slavery. They are going to put this social credit system in place and they're using AI and data collection and pattern recognition to, uh, to control us. It is technological slavery is what they want to do. And Glenn, you're not sharing this, you know, out of a desire to make people feel fearful and helpless. You're sharing no. this to raise awareness and, and most of all, to help people understand there, there actually is a lot you can do to, to mitigate the threat that the, these, uh, you know, encroachments on your privacy uh, can pose. Now, you're going to be hosting a webinar later tonight. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about what people who, who show up for this webinar, I've got a link in, in my show notes today at thebrianhideshow.com. When people show up for this, what are they going to hear about? What are they going to learn? So we're going to start about talking about raising awareness and talking about the three threats that I talked about, but I want to really kind of make it real and show you really what's going on. And then we're going to go through five very real things that you can do right now 
to protect your privacy. And, and you're exactly right. There is, um, there are things that you can do to stay private and to, and to stop this data collection and, and, uh, and be private and secure online. So these five things are a really good start to getting yourself private and secure. Obviously that's not the full thing that you need to do, but the, these five things are things that you can do right now and it, they do definitely make a difference. And for people who are really serious about it, and that may not be everybody, but for those who are, um, you have, I think, a, a really great approach that, that you will make available to them. Um, so if, if they want to take those steps, look, I've, I've heard voices that I trust saying for years, you can't just put this off. You've got to, you've got to take steps. And I think we're, we're fast reaching that point where um you know, if, if you don't, there will come a time you're going to regret that, that you didn't take your privacy more seriously. Yeah. I mean, people say, well, I'm not, I'm not doing anything wrong. So I don't have to worry about my privacy. That is absolutely wrong. We need to protect our privacy individually, but also for freedom as a whole, we need to stop this, this system that they're putting in place. But it's, I'll also make another point. It's about privacy and security. Privacy and security are different things, but they're both things that we all need to think about. And so we, we need to really take advantage of this and do the steps that we need to do to get private and secure online. This is, this is a window into our life. Everything is online now. We are vulnerable in so many ways. We don't even realize that we're vulnerable. And the bad guys are very good at what they do. And so... We just have to protect ourselves. I think I, I feel like I'm fairly, you know, informed or at least aware. I'm paying attention. By gosh, those scammers aren't going to get me. But every so yep. often, an email shows up in my inbox so cleverly disguised as, well, it's from Mike. I know Mike. And Mike is, you know, it's a familiar greeting. And I really have to stop and ask. Now, is this legit or not? Um, because if you click on it, sometimes that's all it takes. Just that click and... Hey, <laughs> thank you. That was yeah. opening the door for us. They are very good at what they do. And now with artificial intelligence, you know, the bad guys, it's not just big tech and government that have the AI. It's the bad guys can do artificial intelligence now. And, you know, you can have a, you can have a conversation with somebody for 30 minutes, an hour, and not know that it's not a person, it's actually a, an AI bot that you're talking to. They're that good. And not only are they good at pretending to be us, but they are excellent at manipulating us. And that's that's really the superpower of AI, is their, their ability to take us down a path that they want to take us down. One that we would not necessarily choose ourselves, but we don't even realize right. we're being manipulated. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're, we're down to just a couple minutes left here in the segment, but uh, for people who want to know more, is there, is there a website we can direct them to? Um, you know, let's say if somebody knows I can't make it for the webinar tonight, but if they still would like to know more, where would you direct them? Well, okay, so we will have a replay on the webinar. I, I do encourage people to come to the to the live presentation, but we will have it up for replay. And I think that's the place to start. I think, um, you know, you want to have the, I mean, we do a really good class. It's an educational class and, uh, you know, people really love it. And I think it opens your eyes. It'll open your eyes. So I think, you know, just, just follow the, the webinar 
link that that you're provided that you provide your audience and you know i think that's a great place to start Okay. Again, we are talking with Glenn Meter, and Glenn, I'm so thankful that uh, that we're putting on this this webinar tonight. This is at six o'clock Mountain Time. I will be uh, I'll be tuned in there, and I hope that uh, my listeners will as well. The link is in the show notes at thebryanthideshow.com. Glenn, thanks so much for the work that you're doing, and uh, thanks thanks for being my guest. Absolutely. Thank you very much. is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I really hope that you will find the time to join us tonight uh, for this uh, webinar that uh, Glenn Meter was talking about in the last segment. You know, there you do have the option. I've got to, I've got to tell you straight up, um, they do have a program that they sell. So yes, there there will be a sales pitch. But I also know that there are people who who take their their security and their online privacy quite seriously. I mean, seriously enough that they're actually willing to exert some effort and and spend some money in order to secure those things. So if you're one of those people. If, you, if it's important enough to you that you're like, yes, I would definitely be willing to, you know, spend some money to make this happen. It may be a message that, that uh, you want to hear. If nothing else, you'll, you'll have a much better appreciation of the scope of uh, intrusion into your privacy and, and into your security that uh, is taking place on a daily basis if you do anything online, which, by the way, includes most of us. I think just about all of us have screens everywhere we go. So a couple things I wanted to share with you. Um, this is this is from Daisy Luther, and try as I might, I don't want to make this sound like oh boy, you know, the world is on the precipice. There's there's some pretty crazy stuff happening right now. I, if I can be perfectly honest, I feel like we are right on the verge of World War Three. I feel like there is a hot war coming, most likely between the U.S. and Russia, possibly between the U.S. and China. And it's there for people to see. And I'm, I'm not saying this to scare you and to make sure that everybody's in panic mode. I'm just saying, if you had some advance warning that really difficult stuff was straight ahead, how would you prepare? In fact, you don't even have to look for something as big as World War III. That just happens to be something that's kind of caught my eye in the last couple of days. And I'm like, ooh, there's, there's, some, there's some serious friction starting to build. But even lockdowns, do you remember what it was like in March of 2020 when the first lockdowns began? I remember standing outside, you know, the grocery store at 5 o'clock in the morning waiting for them to open up and probably 100, 150 other very determined-looking people out there. Now, I didn't need a whole lot of stuff. I think I came to buy some dog food. I was like, you know, we're kind of short on dog food, and if we can, we'll grab a gallon of milk and, you know, maybe an extra pack of toilet paper. I think we just grabbed like a little four-pack just to say, look, we got some. <laughs> But it was it was a very uncomfortable time, and our eyes were opened. So I've got this article from Daisy Luther, the organic prepper, that I want to include in today's show notes. And she says, I've got a real bad feeling of deja vu right now. 
The media is filled with stories about COVID outbreaks, the new variant. And on every network, you've got serious-looking doctors hoping for their five minutes of fame as they discuss why you should wear masks that don't work or get shots that don't work. But she says, that being said, the purpose of this article isn't to scare you about sick people. Sick people happen. Contagious illnesses happen. But she says, we all know how to better our, our chances of not becoming sick and how to take care of ourselves if we are ill. But we also have to accept there are some things that are outside of our control. Things like government mandates, lockdowns, the ensuing hysteria, things like being lied to at every turn. Well, if you look at the patterns that preceded the first lockdown, Daisy's point is we are seeing almost identical intensity in the ramp up of warnings, spreading mask mandates and other restrictions that led up to it. So the article isn't about whether this is right or wrong. It's about getting prepared before the general public empties the shelves. And again, I would ask you, think back to March of 2020 and that uneasy feeling as people were walking around dragging two shopping carts, deer in the headlights look. That was a really unsettling moment, and especially as those shelves started to empty. You remember trying to find baking supplies? Canning supplies? Yeah. So here's the point. Daisy is saying, I strongly advise you to get prepped right now and make a plan on how you intend to handle it if... This comes to pass. Now, that's not a prediction. She says there's no crystal ball here. It's just a comparative analysis of the circumstances, circumstances rather, surrounding previous lockdowns. She says, I'm big on patterns because by examining patterns, you can often deduce what's coming next. And whether you agree with lockdowns or not, you will be affected by them. Or by whatever draconian measures the government takes to, quote, protect us while simultaneously destroying the economy, the supply chain, and small businesses. So use what you learned about lockdowns. This is no longer your first rodeo. It's not even your second. We have experience under our belts that can help us be better prepared if another round of restrictions comes to pass. Now, we may not have full-on lockdowns again, but you can bet your bottom dollar we will face some kind of restrictions in the not-so-distant future. Why would a government give up something that worked so well to seize power and redistribute wealth the last time? Think about what you've learned. And she says, ask yourself the following questions. Is there anything you wish you had done differently? What food did you run out of the fastest? Were there any non-food supplies you didn't think to buy? Was there anything that broke and you didn't have the necessary tools or supplies to repair it? About what item did you think, dang, I wish I had this? Were there people who hunkered down with you who made things difficult or unpleasant? How can you make it better for those folks in the future? And for that matter, would you even want them to come over next time? Are there things you could have prepared to keep your kids or other family members more content? She says, ask yourself these questions while you've got time to sit and contemplate lockdown. Things you wish you'd done differently are going to be very important things to address for the future. And luckily, we've all probably had some successes, maybe more successes than failure in this lockdown. So think about your successes and what worked well for you. Like you had enough money in your emergency fund to cover any shortfalls, or you were able to make tasty, nutritious, and filling meals from the supplies you had on hand. You didn't have to leave the house for X amount of time for groceries. You and your family bonded and enjoyed spending time together. You discovered your group worked really well together. Or you did something productive with your time at home. So for you, what were the things that worked? How can you replicate those things in the future? And then she suggests, make some notes. Take a look and start to go over the two lists that you've already made, what worked and what didn't. 
And then she says, make a third list of things you either need to buy or need to do before the next lockdown. Do you need to get more ingredients for your favorite meals or restock your pantry so you can avoid the pitfall of missing ingredients at the store for a couple of months? How about buying a larger quantity of things you ran out of first? Or grabbing any tools or making uh, or, or uh, repair materials, rather? Grabbing multiples of things you might have forgotten, shampoo, soap, toothbrushes. Get some things to stash away for future entertainment purposes. Figure out how to extricate yourself from partnerships that didn't work. And for partnerships that did work, let's make sure they're on the same page for the next time around. And do an inventory of supplies so you can replenish the things that you've used. Now, this is something that's going to take longer than just 15 to 20 minutes at the kitchen table. But she says, really, spend some time with regard to this self-analysis. And then look at your budget. Most Americans have seen dramatic changes in their incomes over the past months. So this is an important factor in future preparations. If you're just barely managing to pay your bills, you may have difficulty stocking up for round two. If that's the case, you'll need to take a close look at your budget. Be sure to take advantage of whatever the government is offering in way of financial assistance. I have mixed feelings on that, but that's her recommendation. Talk to your creditors. See if they'll work with you. Try a month of what she calls flat broke eating. She's got a link that describes what that is. Just so you can put aside some cash for stockpiling. Add a few extra things per week. You know, a couple extra cans of tuna fish, things like that. It, it stacks up pretty quickly. Don't spend frivolously. She goes, I know it feels like we just got out of prison, but if you go and spend hundreds of dollars eating at restaurants, you're going to regret it when the next lockdown rolls around and you don't have enough supplies. See if there are any fixed expenses you can cut. Okay, subscriptions to various streaming services. That's a possibility. Learn about flat broke prepping. My old friend, uh, uh, what was his name? Al... I can't remember his last name, but he had a book called Preparing for Hard Times on Nickels and Dimes. Pretty solid advice. What kind of things would you want to get for the next set of lockdowns and shortages? Toilet paper, the gold bars of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, paper towels, Lysol wipes, paper plates, hand sanitizer, disinfectant cleaners, bleach, flour, yeast, baking powder, baking soda, meat, canned goods, dry foods like pasta and rice, Cough medicine with expectorant, cold and flu medicine, ibuprofen, Tylenol, vitamin C. These are things you can store properly. And things like pulse oximeters or touchless thermometers or even N95 masks. I know we don't like the masks, but if you want to leave the house sometime, you may be required to mask up. Or if you have to take your kid to see the doctor, trust me, they're going to force you to abide by those rules there. So the point is, the pattern is we seem to be ramping up towards something. Maybe this is a good time to go ahead and take a look at what you have on hand and get to mentally prepared for whatever is coming next. Did you find yourself reeling in shock the last time it happened? Were you depressed, anxious, lonely, isolated? Okay, you're going to have to you're going to have to dig deep and and build upon that resiliency. First of all, understand you've been through it before. And you came through. You're not a delicate little flower who, you know, can't stand a little bit of pressure. You, uh, and that's not to say it was fun, but you were able to, to make it work. And I would add to this, build and strengthen those family relationships. Get right with God. And trust in divine guidance. In other words, really make prayer a regular part of what you're doing. It can take a lot of that uncertainty away during times when uh, nothing is exactly certain. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Final segment. I've got a couple great articles, including our article of the day that I'll be sharing with you in just a few moments. I want to kind of build on that last segment, though. Daisy Luther's article, which is in today's show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. These are show notes for September 13th, 2023. I want you to check that out and just go through the checklist and just see, you know, you're probably better prepared than you think because of what you've been through. But maybe there are a few gaps that need to be filled in. It really does bring peace of mind, even if you have the understanding. I can't be 100% prepared for everything. Look at what you've got on hand. Look at what's within your grasp and take care of it. But don't neglect, uh, you know, the. I think I love that she, she talked about the mental preparation. And I would add to that the spiritual preparation for going through challenging circumstances. Now, there's to build on that, there, there's an article that I'm including in today's show notes from Jeff Minnick. This was published on uh, intellectualtakeout.org. The Last Bastion. In a world gone loco, your home and community are your citadels. And I think that's, uh, that's an approach that we really should take a very serious look at. He starts with a quote from American novelist Kathleen Norris. Peace. That was the other name for home. And Jeff says, during the past few years, America has gone round the bend, addled by a never-ending tsunami of sound bites, bad news, disastrous events, the pandemic, the Afghanistan fiasco, talk of nuclear war, the battles over race and sex in our schools, the ongoing collapse of trust in our institutions, especially government and media, and falling marriage rates. We're like punch-drunk fighters in a match where the bell never sounds. Consequently, he says, many of us feel disoriented and powerless. Commentators and researchers report that the American psyche is battered and few expect the conditions will improve. Yet one place remains in our control, a final fortress where we can find refuge and regather our strength to face life's battles. Whether you live in a mansion in Virginia's horse country or a studio apartment in Jacksonville, Florida, your dwelling place is your citadel. When you step inside the front door and lock that deadbolt behind you, you command your own small corner of the world. And he says you want to brighten the corner where you are. So it's up to you what paintings and pictures hang on the walls, what music will drift in the air. Whether you'll put plants on a windowsill or a back deck, you're also concerned about safety. Well, then you decide whether to purchase a firearm or add a ring doorbell. You want to take a nap on the living room sofa dressed only in a t-shirt and boxer shorts? Well, that outfit might get you arrested in a public park or pass muster as modest in a pride march. But when you're at home, you dress as you please. In this palace, you're the monarch. Now, of course, the enemy has other means of invasion. Push a couple of buttons in the flat screen on the wall in the den, flowers with dire news. Open up that laptop or phone. Tap a few keys and the world is just 12 inches from your face. The screen bringing you the latest horrible atrocities, murders, and government corruption. You can read about the homeless in Asheville, North Carolina, the crime rate in Detroit, the arrest of climate change protesters who, while blocking traffic, caused a deadly accident. You can immerse yourself in a sinkhole of news that seems to portend the end of civilization. Or not. And that's the key. You see, it's up to you whether you swallow the misery of the world along with the quiche and salad you made for supper. You command this readout. In this place, you decide whether to join battle or take some R&R. And by the way, just as an aside, 
I interviewed uh, Jeff Einstein on the program the other day, and I have been reading through his Substack about uh, you know reclaiming quality of life and, and the whole movement that he is is kind of building around this. His advice is so on target. I will be having him back on the show and and strongly recommend that you take a look at uh, at uh, if you didn't hear his segment with me a couple days ago, you should hear it. And if you uh, if you haven't had a chance to look at his uh, Substack, wow, great food for thought. So back to uh, Jeff Minnick's counsel. He says, now here's some good news for you. You're not alone, and it doesn't matter where your stronghold is located. New York's Manhattan or Manhattan, Kansas, beyond those walls are others like you. And these potential allies want the same things you do. They want potholes in the street repaired. The old plumbing and water lines beneath those streets and sidewalks replaced, and if necessary, a new mayor and city council. Some of these potential fellow activists are angry about the local schools. They push for critical the the push rather for critical race theory and their sunken test scores and they're running as candidates for the school board, and they're looking for some help. They're eager to have supporters just like you come aboard. By joining them, you can further banish that paralysis which has dragged you into the pit of impotency. And what's more, you'll be doing good work in that part of the world which matters most to you, your community. Here, Reinhold Nybar's short beloved prayer comes to mind. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Jeff Minnick says, Only a few Americans have the power to quickly change the direction of our federal government, but all of us have the power to make a castle of our homes, and if we wish to extend that power to our communities, we can achieve serenity by knowing our limitations, by having the courage to change things we can, our courage will grow, and so will our power to change our lives for the good. I don't know about you, but I kind of needed that uh, that encouragement, and I think he's absolutely right. Now, does this mean that everything is going to be great and there will never be an argument or disagreement and the dishes will always magically do themselves? No. <laughs> That's, sorry, but uh, even, even family life, you know, has its challenges. But if you can make your home a place that is a shelter from the world, and, and again, I'm going to go back to what he talks about. Choose to walk away from the screens. Maybe not permanently. I mean, that's a hard call for people. But at least make time to walk away from the screens. Leave the phone in the other room. Sit and talk with loved ones. You might just rediscover some things that you find very, very positive. All right. I want to shift gears. Last article. This is the article of the day by Tom Luongo. This is a marvelous commentary on Elon Musk, the ADL, and why the war for free speech is is heating up. Now, look, I don't want to sound like a Musk fanboy, but I'm pretty concerned for him right now because um, the, the narrative managers out there, Rachel Maddow, I think, was trying to make the case for this the other day. There was uh, apparently uh, the, the use of Starlink, which I use Starlink, Internet, Satellite, and, and apparently the Ukrainian military had asked Elon Musk, would you please provide coverage in Crimea through your Starlink network so that we can attack, you know, Russian naval vessels in the Black Sea or so that they could attack, you know, uh, populations there in, uh, in Russia in support of their war. And Elon Musk wisely did not allow the use of his Starlink network to escalate the conflict 
between Ukraine and Russia. And because of that, now you've got people who are, are saying, well, he had a duty to do so. Did he really? Do, do all of us have a duty? Basically, is everything that's ours now, do, does Ukraine have claim on that? And they can, they can uh, you know, require us to give of ourselves or our substance? Personally, I think Musk did the right thing in that he was seeking to avoid escalation. This wasn't giving aid and comfort to the enemy. It was just simply not letting his network, which he built with his own money, he was refusing to allow it to be co-opted for a military purpose. That seems pretty wise to me. But of course, you know, the narrative managers, well, maybe he needs to be charged with something. He was uh, he was aiding, you know, the or he was uh, thwarting an ally. That's, I believe, what Rachel Maddow said about uh, Ukraine. Ukraine is our ally in the fight against Russia. And uh, this is why, you know, he was wrong for doing so. Talk about disconnected from reality. But here's the point, too. And this is what Tom Luongo goes into. The Anti-Defamation League is being sued by Elon Musk for damages over their campaign to control the narrative on Twitter. As soon as Musk took over Twitter, when he acquired Twitter, the Anti-Defamation League, or ADL, came after them and went after a bunch of their advertisers and told them, you've got to stop advertising because this is now a platform for hate. And yes, the ADL are professional alarmists. They, uh, they are activists for hire who will go out there and generate controversy. I believe conflict entrepreneurs might be an appropriate uh, title for them. So they they have definitely persuaded a number of advertisers to back away from Twitter. And by the way, I, I spend more time on Twitter than I probably should, but it's not the platform of hate in the sense that, oh yeah, it's just nothing but anti-Semitism. And oh, 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 oh. But they're going after Musk hardcore. Tom Luongo explains why. He explains why free speech is is under attack. And he has some very solid advice about how to hang on to your freedom of speech and, and how you cannot afford to, to fall into the trap that is being set. I hope you'll take the time to read it. It's, it's a fairly detailed commentary, but it is full of great information. And I like, uh, I like Luongo's slant on stuff. I think this guy has a pretty good grasp of reality, which is itself kind of a treasure to, to find these days. You can find it at the thebrianhideshow.com show notes for September 13th, 2023. This is The Brian Hyde Show.